the naturally occurring psychoactive compound, psilocybin, is found in over 200 species of mushrooms. Despite their millennia of use by humans for mental and spiritual well-being, they have been classified falsely among the most dangerous and illegal of substances. Locked away from those who need them most. The Psilocybin Chronicles documents the individuals who courageously consume, collect, or cultivate these mushrooms to improve the quality of their lives. Won't you join us as we welcome the return of psilocybin? Welcome back to another episode of the Psilocybin Chronicles. I am your host, Eric Osborne. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, rape is the most underreported crime. 63% of all sexual assaults are not reported to police, and only 12% of child sexual abuse is reported to an authority. As horrifying as this is to imagine, one out of every five women that you and I know will be raped in their lives. While these numbers are hard to hear and impossible to fathom, we cannot bury our heads in the sand regarding this issue. These are, after all, our mothers, sisters, and daughters we're talking about here. Not just numbers and not just statistics. There is no excuse for sexual assault of any kind. Rape jokes are not funny. And if there's anything on this planet that an individual should be able to hold sovereign, it is their body and mind. The catcalls are included. This is harassment and an assault on an individual's personal space. It's like auricular rape. Besides, you morons, when has that ever worked? Treat women nice, not like objects, and maybe, just maybe, you'll find one of these beautiful creatures willing to give you the time of day. I have an amazingly attractive wife. I am constantly made aware of the lascivious looks and the relentless propositioning that women face on a daily basis. And guys, while it's tough to admit, I think that we're nearly all of us are guilty of this behavior to some degree or another. Look at what we've been raised in. Look at the examples that have been set. At some point in our lives, we have exemplified the shadow side of male desire. We have objectified women and women to a much, much, much lesser degree, have objectified men. We are humans after all. But the balance has been way, way, way out of whack, and it seems to be correcting, which, while tough for this white middle-class psychedelic citizen, it's certainly long overdue. The interview that you're going to hear today may be tough to listen to at some points also, but we need to. We need to hear and believe this story not only for the beautiful soul telling it, but for all the women and men who have been violently assaulted sexually, and especially those who tried to tell someone but were not believed. I want to share with you some of my own account of this story before you hear it. It could use a bit of context, and I would like to take this opportunity to be vulnerable and forthcoming. A good friend of mine once told me, never pass up a chance to purge. So this episode contains a mildly graphic description of a young woman's kidnapping and rape. As I heard the story told to me for the first time, uh, I was facilitating the individual's psilocybin session, myself having consumed three grams, 
as the story progressed, I began retching, purging, coughing, um, hacking. Uh, it was quite unpleasant, but it was part of the process. Uh, as I listened to the story, I felt a sense of energy in my abdomen. Uh, I was I was on all fours next to the individual, and I felt this energy in my abdomen moving up through my uh, torso into my throat and mouth. And as it passed through my my mouth and this this kind of um, just release of tension and gas and uh, strange I don't know strange exhalations. I also began to see these pornographic images that were being purged out of my body. They were they were leaving leaving my my memory. Uh, it seemed my cellular memory. I, I saw them. I felt them leaving. It was extremely powerful and felt very cleansing. And and I came away from this experience feeling like this individual had helped me while helping herself. And and hope, hopefully I, I had helped her as well. Um, it was extremely profound and was really an honor to, to share and uh, to feel that release. Pornography isn't a habit for me. Um, it has been. I'll, I'll admit that. Mushrooms have most certainly helped to redirect that behavior. But, you know... In the world we live in, uh, I would be lying to say if it didn't enter my life from time to time. Uh, and that's tough to say publicly, but there you have it. Uh, I guess that is just one more form of vomiting out sickness. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, please. I am not here to discuss the shoulds and shouldn'ts of what might be called ethical pornography. Uh, I am all for freedom and for respect. Uh, and, and that's where my focus is going to be continuing uh, to recenter is on respecting women and men, uh, humans that I encounter daily, uh, and be that in a virtual or physical space. Uh, there's been a lot, a lot of negative talk here lately um, from political viewpoints and ethical viewpoints, and yeah. It doesn't really seem to do us any good. Uh, it's great to call out the problems, and it's even better to call out the solutions. So, anyway, that's my solution for objectifying women, <laughs> uh, is to be reminded that all of us, we were all children. We're all looking for validation and recognition and love and that we are all beautiful individuals, no matter how scarred we might be, no matter what life circumstances we have been through, we're all beautiful people, and we all deserve utmost respect as vessels of life. My guest today is Patricia, who asked that I not give her last name. She has a BS in nursing from the number six ranking nursing school worldwide. Practicing now for 11 years, Patricia started off in pulmonary infectious disease acute care. Having some experience in procedural care, the bulk of her experience is in palliative care, both inpatient hospice and home hospice. Despite the difficult nature of some of this episode's content, I am certain that, as I did, you will come away with a renewed faith in human resiliency and perhaps 
even something beyond the boundaries of the human mind. All right, Patricia, welcome to the Psilocybin uh, Chronicles. It's nice to have you here. So as we always start, I would ask you if you could take mushrooms with one person through history or in your personal history, who might that be? My Angelou. Huh. I think she seemed to have a really strong connection to a place of, of power or empowerment, I suppose. You know, from a very young age, even though she was raised in really unfortunate circumstances, she seemed to have the kind of resilience that I would like to know, you know, hear more about. Mm. You know. mm. Wow, that's a, a really interesting choice. I've read quite a bit of her work in glitter. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I did not expect that. that was, really? No, that's an excellent. What were you expecting? I didn't, wouldn't say that I had an expectation, but that's just an outstanding individual. Um, and for those reasons, and as a, a, a female, and I can mm-hmm. just see why that would be such a powerful figure to have that experience with. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of caught me off guard. Thanks. <laughs> so let's talk about your first exposure to psilocybin. How, and I don't mean how you ate it or, or first consumption of psilocybin, but when you first even heard of psilocybin, when was that? And, and what was your kind of went through your mind? Well, it was a long time, probably when I was um, a young woman in Boston, I had some friends who talked about it and um, it seemed a little scary at the time and I never ended up doing it. I think it could have changed the course of my life though. I wish I had. Mm. I guess I thought of it as just a party drug at the time. Mm -hmm. I really didn't see it as a way to kind of get in touch with, you know, a more spiritual place. I didn't really see it in the way that I see it now. Mm. Did you follow up with your friends after they consumed? No, they had been, you know, they did, they consumed lots, you know, uh-huh. often. Oh, yeah. oh okay. But, um, n- no, not really. And then after that, mostly I think it, it kind of came up in a, in a web search of how to help my son deal with his current, you know, he kind of crashed and burned at school. He got through two and a half years of a physics undergraduate degree and then he, he just kind of, um, like ran out of steam and he does have um, anxiety and depression for sure and um, they tell me he's on the autism spectrum and kind of a, a, a hairy edge of it and they tell me he's very atypical he doesn't really fit the diagnostic criteria for autism spectrum but it seems to me that it isolates him so much you know whatever whatever part of autism spectrum disorder he has it it um seems that it plays a role in keeping him away from people. Hmm. So you you stumbled across psilocybin basically um, later in later in years in seeking to help your son. Right. Uh, was this a research article or what? What was the? I read a lot of different things. It was really just um, I started off alternative therapies. You know, just googling um, autism spectrum and social anxiety and you know. OCD, that kind of thing, and all roads seem to lead to, as far as alternative therapies that are effective, um, both kind of anecdotally, like just from um, folks on the internet who had, you know, quite a number of these different disorders, mm-hmm. and also there's some there's some studies that I kind of ran across, and that seemed really encouraging, and um, 
including like that Johns Hopkins is working on the psilocybin for end of life anxiety. And I just thought, um, also, uh, I was, um, I guess, I felt like because it's so safe, you know, nobody gets hurt by mushrooms unless they eat, you know, the wrong, they pick the wrong mushroom, mm -hmm. that it was a safe way potentially to help him, you know, and then I, I knew that I would, I could benefit too. And, um, it just seemed like a really safe next step. We've tried lots of therapy. He hates therapy. It's expensive, it's time-consuming, and it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I thought, at the very worst, at least something would change. You know, something would be different. It would be a, you know, it's not doing the same thing you were doing before that didn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. there was something mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. And and we read an awful lot of individuals' accounts about their using psilocybin and how it helped them. And I remember a few in particular, this one young man, who sounded like he was very much in the same spot Nick is. He was kind of crashed and burned and just broken up with his boyfriend and, um, you know, just was really in a terrible place. And he um, went to Amsterdam a few times and he kind of, he didn't start recording until it started working. So some of it was retrospective, but he talked about the kind of person he was before and, you know, uh, that he, you know, how lonely he was and how difficult it was for him to reach outside of himself to others. Mm -hmm. and. And then um, was kind of blossoming into this relatively more gregarious, just like more friendly, more involved, more connected person mm -hmm. who was more functional and um, just he was just overflowing with the need to share his experience because it was so helpful to mm -hmm. him. And that one, that one really stuck with me. That's <clears throat> the kind of help I really wanted Nick to have. The podcast is not meant to be as a marketing tool for micrometations. Yeah. Uh, but the content that we're producing here mm -hmm. with individuals like yourself is so enormously valuable yeah. to people who, like yourself, are seeking some help, mm -hmm. some kind of some kind of relief. Mm -hmm. um, are you comfortable talking about uh, your, your son's experiences here? Um, or what you're, not his experience, but sure. what you're seeing happen with him? Yeah, sure. And Nick has said tough case. I mean, I am seeing him, you know, open up some. I think the most, for me, the most interesting thing that I've seen so far, and we still have one more to go, you know, mm -hmm. um, and this won't be our last experience. But he is such a diehard, facts only kind of person. Mm -hmm. And after that third trip, he said, he, was, he seemed kind of embarrassed about it, but he said, you know, more or less that the mushrooms showed him that he could open the hood of his car, that they could help him open the hood of his, his um, uh, you know, figurative car, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And But he didn't know what he was supposed to do once he got the hood open. Mm -hmm. And you told him that they'll show you. Mm -hmm. And um, he doesn't speak figuratively. Mm -hmm. He never does that. Mm -hmm. That is a skill that he didn't possess before, mm -hmm. and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. you know I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think even um, you uh, don't see the possibly fully see the amount of relief he seems to be going across his face. Like everybody right. last night when he brought yeah. the hat back to Dan, yeah. everybody's like, "Nick is smiling. Look at that smile. Look at That's that because smile. he always showed that to me." Right. 
So the difference is more to you guys, yeah. I think, because oh my gosh, you know he's he's always been open with me, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, yeah, but I do see I do see that he's he's more open with you guys. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that is a difference. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's process, and you said like you said, he is a, a tough case, and I do think that he is one of these individuals that uh, because of his high level of intelligence, uh, that uh, working. Working by itself will probably prove really beneficial. Really, okay. understanding the safety of it, and for a point, I think yeah. that he will get to a point where getting together with comparable minds yeah. will be outstanding. Yeah. Uh, and but you know, individuals like him, um, you know, I think everybody needs a little psilocybin for the most part. Yeah. You know, there's a few that don't, but uh, individuals like Nick that are so intelligent, mm -hmm. um, like. They have so and young mm -hmm. have so much to offer the future of this world, and yeah. you already know this. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're gonna, I think we'll see some interesting things coming out of your son, and I think that his engagement with Soul Something will contribute to that. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll just talk about Patty, because uh, mm -hmm. you did come here for him, but um, you've found a lot in yeah. this experience as well. Um, and this is this here in Jamaica is the first time you've consumed psilocybin. Well, is it the first time? Well, no, well, go ahead. No, I, I did. Um, I did. Um, I did do a little microdosing before, mm. but I didn't. You didn't have a, and you didn't have a psychedelic experience, so to speak. I no. guess is what I'm referring. to. I was trying not to because I I didn't feel confident about doing that on my own mm -hmm. the first time. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Uh, mm -hmm. Your your first dose. Uh, how did you feel going towards it, and what expectations were or weren't met? Or I was really just trying to show Nick it was safe. Mm -hmm. You know that that um that I didn't <laughs> I didn't freak out too much. You know, just um hey, I ate these mushrooms and look at Saturday morning and everybody's still here, kind of like mm -hmm. that. You know, nothing bad happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then you know that was pretty much what it was like. I, mean, I had some weird dreams. I wasn't doing it right, um, but. That that was pretty much. Uh, I, I never took more than three grams, and um, maybe three and a half grams at the max. Mm -hmm. And then he did take some, but you know he was on the Zoloft, and right. so it didn't really work. Right? Yeah. Right. But, um, so then coming here, and your first actual experience. Yeah. How did the how's that unfolded? Well, the first experience I was, um, um, you know, I was kind of sitting this next to somebody who was kind of chatty and um i never really it was only three grams so i never really saw a lot of visual stuff just mm -hmm. when i closed my eyes i didn't mm -hmm. see some visual stuff but and then kind of we started talking and you know and that was it was just kind of giggly and and chatty and it was just fine yeah but nothing yeah you nothing my wanderer. That my I was. That's right. Attempted wanderer. Yeah. Well, I was just like trying to wander around the yard. Yeah. I was just. Um. I was trying to. I, I thought it was hilarious that Laurie later on she thought that that I was tripping that because uh, I said my watch told, tells me it's time to walk, yeah. but it actually did say you've been sitting for a while. You right, know, right. it's time for you to get up and walk around some. <laughs> that wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't the mushrooms. My watch. But oh, and then yeah, and then the second trip, yeah. And I, I kind of, I talked about the, the intention. I really did want to talk through this traumatic event. I had, you know, a rape as a little girl, and um, when I was eleven, and I had gotten through all of the the terrible stuff I thought and therapy, and I never could 
you know, I, there was always this one little piece of it that just kicked me out of a reverie where I was able to explore that experience to try to heal from it. And, and I just couldn't find that spot. And so, you know, um, I came here and I talked to you guys about it before and said that I wanted to find that, that place and see if I could see what's, what's in that, like what's so scary that I can't even know about it, mm-hmm. you know, at my age and I'm pretty, you know, I live a pretty, um, because you did remember all the details of the rape. I did. Something else. That I you remembered remember. every, and I couldn't figure out like, why is it that sometimes I, I touch a little nerve in there and suddenly I'm just shot out of it. And then I'm not, I'm not in a therapeutic spot anymore. Mm-hmm. Even I'm just, you know, just my brain isn't even there at all. Yeah, and so then um, we dosed, and I talked to you. I talked you through the whole thing, and I kind of. It took me a while to figure out exactly where the spot was, mm-hmm. but it was, of course, this near-death experience that, um, for some reason, didn't. That never, kind of came out in therapy, and all the times that I walked back and forth through that whole process, that really scary thing was really was really this um and should i talk about what happened uh, you're completely uh yeah open to I mean, it's um i think it's i think it's a very i know that it's very valuable um yeah. it's up to you how much you want to share of your personal story i'm fine with it. it so just that um i was expecting it to be more of the like just a super more scary part of the rape that i just didn't remember mm-hmm. and it was just that i had had a near-death experience in which I saw these people and I beyond them I saw this beautiful kind of um, amusement park because I was 11 I really wanted to go there mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just you know it was calling to me just with this comfort and peace and um, joy and um, you know everything that an 11 year old could ever want and there were women, there were these three women, I know I've described this to you ad nauseum, but just who were who were dead set against me going in there and tell they one in particular who was in the front and then two other women were behind her and they wouldn't let me in. They were telling me, You have work to do. The one the one in front kept telling me, You have you have you can't stay here. You have to go back and I told her you can't send me back there. You know what's happening there. You cannot send me back there. And, you know, I was weeping and um, horrified that she would expect me to go back there. And she um, started crying and slapping me. And she got um, sadder and angrier. And she um, finally said, we don't want you here and pushed me and then and then I woke up in that place where the rape was happening and that was terrible you know when you're 11 <laughs> that you know that you're in this other spiritual place and they really they pushed you out of it and I understand with my adult mind that that there was a really good reason for them to do that but when I was 11 that was just the scariest thing that was scarier than the rape that was scarier than being kidnapped and raped by two men I did not know you know and let out next door to my my house you know and never being able to tell anybody that was scarier like you're not wanted in this spiritual space that offered you all of this 
peace and, you know, it looked like, you know, a place for peace and comfort and all that, that you're not welcome there was just the, just the most terrifying message I'd ever received. And there is no other place. There's no, there's no clinical setting for me to air out that grief, mm-hmm. like that trauma. Or to even have the tools to access it. Right, really. exactly. How was I ever going to get there? I mean, I couldn't get there because every time I tried, mm-hmm. every time I tried to get there, right. it just kicked me out, and I was not, I was not able to be present in that spot. I was yes. just it was too upsetting. So. So, what's your days after now? What is um, kind of your perspective on that? Not just within the experience, having remembered that, mm-hmm. but your reflection on the experience on the other side when you were a child. How how have you continued to process this as the days have passed? Well, I I haven't spent enough time doing that. I think I need to to do some more processing. But I I see that I either, you know, I do laugh at it a lot, just um, that, that I carried that around, you know, for so long as such a negative you know, experience when it clearly wasn't meant that way. But I mean, I do, like, we laughed a lot about, you know, those bitches kicked me out of heaven, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, to me, at that moment, as soon as I remembered that, that's what happened that was so upsetting, mm-hmm. that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we were talking, you were talking yeah. about how the rape was not funny, how you would use right. humor to avoid the rape. Exactly. Then, avoid thinking about it. Exactly. I always, I always do that. Yeah, I always lighten it up. But that, I mean, the fact that that, that was upset, it's just, the, the funny thing is, like, the, the, you know, these women, or the, this one woman in particular who, out of care for me, was, you know, cruel to me in a way that she found mm-hmm. painful, mm-hmm. you know, that caused her to weep, um, that, um, I don't know, it's, I guess it's, funny that that's what was so upsetting in a way that's hard to explain but oh yeah uh, i know i know but uh, yeah. uh it's been really really beautiful seeing yeah. this unfold in you mm-hmm. and seeing kind of like you shedding layers yeah it seems so so clear mm-hmm. and then you had another dose after that yeah. Um, and did where was there any continuum of the second or how, how did it go? Well, I, I started off at the beginning seeing these images of um, like altars and crosses, mm-hmm. and I'm not I haven't really completely figured out what that's about, but I also um, I, I saw I was kind of trying to ask, okay, what is this work that I have to do? You know, because you had asked me that question. She said, you have work to do. Mm-hmm. You have work to do. You can't stay here. Mm-hmm. What's the work? And um, and I remember at the beginning of that trip, I was really anxious. And we, I told you that um, uh, Shanika asked me what I was anxious about. And I was like, I don't, I don't really think I'm anxious about anything, you know. And she was like, well, would it help you to talk about it? And I said, no, I think it would help me to listen. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I ended up getting up and walking around and finding people who seemed to need to talk. And, and I listened to them. And that, that just really... Um, I just wasn't anxious as long as I was listening. Can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Have you have you found yourself listening to Nick more this week? Oh, no doubt. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely. I've just been enjoying him more. Mm-hmm. I have been worrying about him a lot less. Mm-hmm. I do think that he's going to find his way. I just think, you know, 
we're going to slow down and let it take its own pace some. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, this this kind of impetus that we put on things to be all right. Everything's got to be all right. Right. Wrong. Right. Wrong. Yeah. It's never going to be all right. Yeah, that's true. You know? I mean, there are degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just think, I'm, I just... I'm proud of you as a mom, and like, I just, I just really am happy to see that there are that are, there are mothers, and there's more, more and more people who are they like, want, despite what society kind of has said about these mm-hmm. therapies, approach them and are enthusiastic about it and willing to speak about it. Well, the world needs Nick for Pete's sake, you know. That I was, I, you know, everybody, everybody, every mom thinks her kid is, you know, brilliant, and, and I know, they, and they are. Everybody he is, is a, he is a measured genius. He though. is a legitimate, yeah, like <laughs> by the numbers, really. I'm just saying, and and um, right. and it would be just, you know, the world just needs him. I and mean, I know that he's, like, there are lots of other people who are brilliant the way Nick is, but it's incumbent upon. You, if you're the mother of one of them, to figure out how to deliver that specialness to the mm-hmm. world, you know, in a way that he can help, because you know we have so we have so much, you know, the need is so great, right? Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, what are your thoughts and hopes um, about uh, in regards to psilocybin, maybe for yourself and Nick, or mm-hmm. for society at large? For society at large, I I think that it's the it's the biggest hope we have for really uh, treating just hordes of people who are tormented every single day by psychiatric disorders. I think there isn't anything, you know, faster or, you know, longer lasting or just more effective I don't that I can that I can see just based on what I've seen here. Mm-hmm. Like n- the needle just doesn't move like that yeah. from Zoloft and, you know, talk therapy it just doesn't no and you asked I think what what's the um if we could compare talk therapy like traditional talk mm-hmm. therapy and medication mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to one um uh, psilocybin um session I mean I guess it would have a lot to do with what your problem is I mean for me there was never going to be any talk therapy that was going to get me to to talk through that that you know near-death experience I was just never going to find that without, um, you know, Silas Evan. I don't think I can't see myself, or maybe, maybe after, you know, maybe a, a, a long retreat, you know, in a Buddhist temple or something. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but, you know, altered states. I think is I one of the um, more just more valuable terms that we have, uh, or uh, also it's uh, could be called, called holotropic state, a holotropic mm-hmm. state. You yeah. know, the unitive mind. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. passing through the place of ego as much as possible, mm-hmm. and getting into uh, but what I, I just am coming to believe is is the stored mm-hmm. experience of humanity. Yeah, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have instances of uh, proven mm-hmm. clairvoyance or yeah. you know, knowledge of events before they occur, and the only, the only thing that I can see is that there is a collective mind that we are all. Mm-hmm. tied to and wired into mm-hmm. and it gives a you know the the reliefs 
seem to come when the time is right, but there is something mm -hmm. about psilocybin and psychedelics in general that that seems to have an impact on time. This morning, mm -hmm. I woke up feeling tonight's trip. Oh, wow. The night before the last dose, I woke up and I was like, here's the dose you're taking. And huh. it just every... <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. Maybe a physicist or something. You know, atomic. So he, he does talk know. about some crazy shit like that. Yeah. Too. No, yeah. I mean, it'd be. It's, you I'm, should talk to Nick about this. I'm, I am yeah. very, very interested in what Nick has to say uh, after tonight's dose. I feel something that I will talk about later, and I don't know oh. if it's right. And even into the future, uh, a mind like that. You know, we've had a, um, a marine biologist was here once, and after his last dose, we it was a, an afternoon dose, and so we were done by evening we went down to the beach as the sun was going down and just water was nice and got in and explored the reef a little bit and he was just like all up on the reef and he was just like why did i not have this in my master's degree why did we not have this as a tool mm -hmm. to learn about marine biology yeah. or whatever the the field is right. you mm -hmm. know this is a absolutely a tool for exploration and i think it's going to be a big help to him so we'll see Okay, well, what's your billboard? It's the last question I have for you. It's a psilocybin billboard. If you could throw one up anywhere in the yeah. highways of the United States, yeah. <laughs> or many, what would they say? What would it say? Well, and I said that as soon as you asked me, I said, like, relief, you know, because that, that's what it is. It's just, you remember, know. Remember the Rolaids commercial? Yeah. That's how I spell relief. Yeah. <laughs> R-O-L-A-N-S. Yeah. Psilocybin is hard to spell. Yeah. <laughs> I have the jingle. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, that, does that, is that good enough though? Oh, absolutely. Like I mean, I think yeah. I, my, yeah. my like, That's what I got. like, is like, it's like takes a load off of our shoulders. It always, it like it makes things lighter and that is yeah. relief, right? Absolutely. How we describe it doesn't really matter, but that is the... <sighs> yeah. And, well, I'm sure yeah. you deserve some relief. You've been really putting it in. You've, you deserve some relief, and yeah. so does Nick, and yeah. I'm very happy to see it for you. Oh, yeah. No, I'm so really glad that we came. I wish I could have dragged my husband here, but I will. You know? <laughs> yeah. We'll see you in time, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation, listeners. Patricia, thank you so much for your courage and vulnerability. You are truly an example for us all, and I look forward to seeing what more you have to offer this world that is so in need of souls like yours. And in honor of great women and human beings everywhere, I'm going to leave you with a well-known poem by the great Maya Angelou, whom Patricia mentioned at the start of our interview. Perhaps you are familiar with her poem titled, And Still I Rise. It is one of my favorites. And I, <laughs> reflecting on life's ups and downs, still rise. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened a risen. Uh, somehow made our ablution, seen other human beings, and said, Morning, how are you? Fine, thanks, in you? It's amazing. Wherever that abides in the human being, there is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, 
pretty plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just cause I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like suns and like moons with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries. Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. <laughs> As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak miraculously clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, naturally, there I go rising.